All right, we're in the book of Romans, chapter 13, and uh, we are going to be through verse 10. Last week, uh, I only made it through one verse, Uh, but I thought uh, speaking on authority and submission was so important, so we just really broke that down and taught about authority and submission last week. So we are going to get on a roll today. So let's go ahead and start with a running roll in verse 1, read down to verse 10. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister for you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be, in, must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, and uh, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, owe no in anything except to love them. Uh, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear wit- false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, you are all summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. All right, so let's go to verse 2. It says, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Father, we just thank you so much for the word today. Holy Spirit, we thank you, the divine teacher, that you're going to speak to the hearts of people today. And Lord, Father, I thank you for just ministering this in a supernatural way that people walk away with what they need in Jesus' name. Amen. So it says you can resist the authority. And we found out last week that all authority that belongs, all authority is from God. God created all authority. And so he didn't put the people in the places of authority. He created the positions of authority. And so those places of authority were channels for his blessing Submission is a receptacle for his covering, his blessing, and his uh, power to flow to. And so, but it comes through channels of authority. And so it says, therefore, who resists authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And so we have our own personal relationship with God where we have under God's authority just directly, but we also have many channels in the natural life that we live where it would be in our civil government, we're going to talk about today, or it's going to be in the home that we talked about last week, or the church. We all, wherever you go, there is authority. So like, like I said, wherever I go, I look for authority and I submit to it. And when I do that, I'm a receptacle for the good that God designed that authority to be in my life. And so, but you can resist authority. And so how do you resist God's authority directly in your relationship with God? And so you can resist God's authority by not believing his word. By not believing his word, not speaking his word, and not acting on his word. And so you can resist God's authority, and so that's possible. But then there's many authorities just in the natural realm that we can end up resisting. And when we resist those authorities God set up, we actually end up resisting God. And so therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God. Look at that word ordinance 
it is the word that means institution. Institution. So every, every authority on earth is an institution that God has set up. And so when we resist God, we resist the institution of God. So what are some institutions today of people that are the resisting God or the institutions God set up? The first institution God set up is marriage. Marriage. And so today, like never before, that institution is being fought. So if you're married, you're, in, you're in, in an institution. Hallelujah. And so the next institution God set up was the family. And the next is the church. And so those are the institutions. So is, is, the, is the enemy attacking marriage? Is he attacking a family? Is he, fact, if, is he attacking church? Yes. Yeah, so, so really the, the, the enemy is attacking authority. He's attacking God's authority. And when you erode authority, then there's nothing but chaos. And the blessing that wants to get through to us is, is broken up because authority is broken up. And so it says those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. And so it doesn't pay to resist God. And so we just, so if we don't submit to God, then we get the, the opposite just by default. And God never wants it. But if we're not going to submit to, to God and, and it's for our good that we submit because he wants nothing but good for you. And, and every, every authority in your life is for your good. And, but if you don't want to submit to authority, then you're basically saying yes to, to the, the, alter, the alternate choice of that. And so, again, it says here, it says, those that resist will bring judgment on themselves. And in context, it's talking about receiving judgment from the civil government in the civil government. And so civil government has been ordained by God to bring judgment upon evil. And that's God's intention. And so however, when the government starts promoting evil, that's a problem. And so government was set up to, to oppose and shut down evil. But again, when they start promoting evil, that's a problem. We're going to talk about what happens when the authority starts going against God, so promoting evil. How do you respond to that as a Christian? We're going to talk about that this, this morning. And so the first thing that you need to do to submit to authority, say first thing. The first thing you need to do is usually the last thing most Christians do. And I say, well, as a believer, we ought to be out picketing and protesting. I said, well, you know, the, we have a right to protest. I'm not saying that's wrong at different times that we, we have peaceful protest. Well, we just need to be running for office. Yes, we do. We need to be voting, absolutely. But that's not the first thing that we're called to do. And oftentimes we're wanting to do steps three, four, five, and six, but we haven't done the first step. If we haven't done the first step, then what the other steps we're taking is in the flesh. And so what's the first thing that we're called to do uh, toward government? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 1. Therefore I exert, exhort, third of all, I'm sorry, thank you. Therefore, I exhort, exhort first of all, say first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And so we should be praying for all that are in authority. Why? Because God answers prayer. God can change the hearts of men. We should be praying labors across their path. For those that don't know Jesus. Because uh, if government's turning evil, it's because their heart's darkened. And they need the light of the gospel. 
And God reached us, but they can, if they can reach us, if God can reach us, God can reach them. God can reach our president and vice president and our governors and mayors and everybody. God can, do you believe God can reach them? Yes. Amen. God can. And God can turn the hearts of a king like water brooks and turn it. But it starts in prayer, guys. And if you're doing all the other things, but you're not praying, then oftentimes it's done in the flesh. And so we, you know, we have Christians on Facebook just ranting post after post, ranting and raving about all the government and all the stuff. But are, but are you on your knees in intercession? And so that's the important thing we need to do. So it says that those, uh, it says that those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And so look at verse 3. It says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So, so rulers are supposed to be a terror to those who do evil. Those that do evil should be afraid. And when a just government is set up, that's what brings out is you should be afraid to do wrong. You should be wrong to do evil. But let me, let me ask you a question here, and this is the question. Do you want to be free from fear in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, I'll give you an answer on how to be free. Because right here it says, do you want to be unafraid of authority? Okay, let me tell you how to be unafraid of authority. Do good. Let me give you a tip on how not to get a ticket. Don't speed. And those signals, red means, red green means, Yellow means speed up. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Slow down. All right. I swear it was pink, officer. It was pink. You don't want to, if you want to not be afraid of the authority, then do good. Reminds me of a, of a pastor who got caught speeding. He was doing 15 to 25 school zones. And he got caught, and his day of court came, and they said, well, how do you plead, Pastor? And he says, I'm not guilty. He says, well, we, we caught you on the gun, and we have two witnesses that say you were going that and speeding on that, and, and so I think it's pretty dead to the right. We caught you. And he goes, well, okay, but my, I, see, I'm a Christian, and I'm born again, and so my spirit didn't do it. <laughs> I'm a spirit, and my spirit didn't, what, didn't participate, and that was my flesh. And so the, so the uh, judge says, well, the, the, you're putting us in a difficult place. So what we're going to do is we're going to put your spirit in prison for three days and let your flesh go free. <laughs> what? Oh, sorry, we're going to put your flesh in prison three days and let your spirit go free. Boy, no wonder it didn't go very well in the first service. Thank you. Thank you for fixing that because I was like, I know that's a funny joke. Why is this not loud? <laughs> oh, sorry. Note to self. Okay. For rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what's good. And you'll have praise from the same. See, I think, I think uh, our, our civil government is doing an okay job on being a terror to evil. But we're also, they're also supposed to give praise to those that do good. 
I think we do a horrible job in our government in giving praise to those that do good. You know, it'd be nice if you were driving along one day and the police pull you over and, and they come up to you and say, well, officer, did I do, well, no, you were just, you were driving perfectly fine. You used your turn signal there. You're, you, good job. <laughs> you don't ever hear that, right? You ever been behind a big pickup truck and there's a sign that says, uh, 1-800, how am I driving? How many people call them up and say, you know what, they're doing awesome. I mean, they were driving right, and they made the run. And it, I, so it says that you should have praise from the same. Verse 4 says, for he is God's minister to you for good. You mean that police officer is a God's minister to you for good? That, that military, you're talking about the military as well and the civil government that keeps our laws. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if, you're, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Look at that word minister. It's the Greek word diakonos, where we get the word deacon from. We know that the entry-level position in the church, if you want to go into the ministry, is the, is the ministry of a, of a deacon, a server, a minister. And so it starts out being a deacon. But we're finding out here, but if you're called to a government position, if you're called to the police, or you're called to the military, then you are equally in the ministry. God's called you a minister. And so let me say this. A call to be in civil government or the police or military is as much spiritual as a call to be the minister of the gospel. And so you're God's minister to do good, to, to uh, minister for people's good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. What does it mean, bear the sword in vain? He's speaking of capital punishment. Capital punishment. That means for some, some laws that are broken, there is capital punishment. You're put to death. And, and we find in the word of God, God is pro-capital uh, punishment. Before the law, God, God was, spoke of uh, being uh, capital punishment during the law and even after the law, capital punishment's a part of the word of God. And there's a lot of Christians that are so upset about that. It was like, oh, it's so wrong to have someone uh, be killed for what they do. But you need to learn that you need to be a disciple. What's a disciple? A disciple lets their lives be governed by what the word says. Jesus says, these are my disciples indeed. Those that continue in my word, these are my disciples. And so what's a disciple? One who governs their life by the word. Does the word ever change? Does it change with public opinion? Polls? No, it doesn't. And so that's why the world does not like Christians, and specifically not just Christians, disciples. And the, and the, 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 the people today, the darkness of the world, they do not like disciples. Why? Because you don't change. And so raise your hand if you've noticed a change from when you were born to now in, in values, morals. You've seen great changes because you've been led by men that are governed by the winds of what's popular and they go with that. But as a Christian, as a disciple of the Lord, you never change. That's why they don't like you. And so the word says that today that's going to say that tomorrow and a year from now 
thousand years from now if Jesus doesn't come back, if you're a disciple, you will not change. And so that's, that's why uh, the Word of God talks about they don't bear the sword in vain. So let's see about capital punishment. Look in Genesis chapter 9, look at verse 6. Genesis chapter 9, look at verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for, this, for, he, for in the image of God he made man. Do you know who, who this is a quote from? God. God said this. Noah didn't say that. You know, Noah got off that boat and got drunk. I'm not judging the dude. He was in there for a year. No, ju- no judgment. But, but God said, as soon as he got off the boat, he said this. He said, whoever shed man's blood, by man his blood should be shed. That's talking about government. It's talking about civil government. And it's talking about capital punishment. There was capital punishment during the law. Matter of fact, there wasn't a whole lot of executions that took place before the law. But after the law, you see that quite a bit. Matter of fact, the first person put to death after the law was given on Mount Sinai was in Numbers 15. Look at verse 32. Numbers 15, look at verse 32. Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him under guard because it had not been explained what we should, be done to, but should be done to him. So they found the guy, you know, so Moses said on the Sabbath day you shall not do any work. And so the guy is up on the Sabbath day and he's gathering sticks. I'm sure he's going to create a fire. And so he wanted to build a fire so he could make a man of pizza for his bread but, and, and keep himself warm. And so he just got getting some sticks. And so they found him. They brought him in. And so they go to Moses and say, Moses, what do we do with this guy? He was getting sticks. Do we ground him from sticks for a week? And Moses went to God and God said this. Then the Lord says, say the Lord said. The Lord said to Moses, the man must be surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So under the law, there was capital punishment. Before the law, there was capital punishment. And even after the law, because here in Romans 13, and it says that, that those that are in a civil government, those that are our police officers, those that are, 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 uh, those that are watching over for our good, they don't bear the sword in vain. What does that mean? Capital punishment. And so again, next it says, for he is God's minister. He's God's deacon. He's God's minister. And so in case you missed it or you're too shocked to believe it, God says that again, he's God's deacon. He's God's minister. He says it twice. An avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. God set it up so that his wrath would be shown. Well, I thought God's wrath was fully put out on the cross and so the God has no more wrath. Well, yes, for those who accepted that sacrifice, there's no more wrath from God to us directly. But God still has wrath towards evil. And look at Romans chapter 1. Look at Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18. Romans chapter 1, look at verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed. Actually, the Greek says is being revealed. Present tense. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Well, how is the wrath of God being revealed today? Well, it's not being revealed like it will in the tribulation period. 
You know, there's so many people today, if there's, a, if there's a storm or a hurricane, they'll say, well, is that the wrath of God? Or there's an earthquake, is that the wrath of God? During the tribulation period, you will have no reason to ask, was that the wrath of God? It'll be quite, quite evident. But God's not pouring out that wrath today directly upon us. So how's God's wrath or displeasure against evil being manifested today? Because it is being revealed. It's being revealed through civil government. Civil government, our, our, our prison systems and, and the system, even, even capital punishment today. And so it says, again, look at the verse again. It says, for he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister to avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So again, that is God, the way God set up government. Again, but though, if the government, though, turns evil and promotes evil, what do you do? Well, you have a choice to do. Am I going to obey God or a man? And so that's called civil disobedience. Civil disobedience. And so there are times where we're called as Christians for civil disobedience. That was so in the early church. And so let me read to you what Jesus said in Matthew 28, look at verse 19. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching, say teaching, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Jesus commanded that they teach in his name. And so, but I want you to see, though, they got up to do that, and then the rulers grabbed them, put them before the Sanhedrin, and strictly told them, You are not to teach in this name anymore. So that left them a question, should I obey the civil government? But Jesus told us to do it. And so they got up and did it. They did civil disobedience. And guess what? If you commit civil disobedience, that's your choice, but you can't have your choice not to take the, take the ramifications or the consequences of it. And so the consequences was that they were put in prison. And they asked them here in Acts 5, look at verse 28, the leader said to them, did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name, this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. And so when government goes directly against the word of God, then it's within the human conscience to say, okay, for me to submit to God, I can't submit to that. And that's each person in their heart, that's their conscience. And what level that is depends on your conscience. And you can't judge someone else for their conscience, and you can't judge someone else for, for theirs and where they start. And so, again, there's civil disobedience in the Word of God, but it's strictly against the Word. Strictly. And so let me say something to you. We can choose to disobey governments, but you're, you must be willing to suffer the consequences. Peter was, though, but you know what? God can deliver you out of it. If you're in the right, God can deliver you even out of those consequences. Peter was put into prison, but guess what? An angel showed up in the middle of the night, and he had to wake Peter up. He had to kick him in the side. He's in a deep sleep. The next day, it says he was going to be brought for judgment. He was probably going to be executed the next day. Question, if you're going to be executed the next day, would you be in a deep sleep? 
he's in a deep sleep. The angel had to whack him to get him to wake up. How could he do that? Well, well, Peter was in such peace is that he wasn't sleeping on a pillow. He was sleeping on the promises of God. Because right before Jesus left, he was walking with Peter on a beach one day, and, and Jesus said, when you're old, they'll take you where you don't want to go. They'll stretch your arms out and lead you to where you don't want to go anymore and spoke of the death that he would die. It says when he's old, but right then he wasn't old. So he said, well, I can't, that, I'm not going to die. So guess what? He just, he just puffed up the promise of God and he laid his head on the promises of God. You can do that in your life. Do you know what? You can warfare a good warfare with the prophecies that's been spoken over your life. Where God said, you, this is going to happen to you. and that's, But then some, a sickness hits you and you're like, you're, the devil said, oh, I'm taking you out. You're, I'm taking you out. He says, no, you ain't taking me out because I have the promises of God that, I'm gonna, that God spoke to me about this. And until God's done with you, you're invincible. If you believe. Tell someone you're invincible. If you're walking in God's will and walking in faith, not when you're doing stupid. Civil disobedience. There are some in here that may be called to be a martyr. Because Peter got delivered several times. He got sprung out of prison twice by an angel. But eventually at the end, church history is pretty strong that he was, he was crucified in Rome upside down he, of his choice. Not to be like Jesus. But he was martyred. But I believe if we're called to be martyrs, such grace will be upon us. Matter of fact, do you know in the early church, the martyred church where the persecuted under Rome where they were killing Christians, they were burning them at the stakes. Nero was putting Christians on stakes and, and putting tar on them and burning them for his night parties light, to light up his gardens. And he stopped doing that because he kept saying, why must these Christians sing? And such power would be upon them, they actually had to make a rule. The, bish, the head bishops of the day got together and they actually had to make a decree for the Christians that if you were to be considered a martyr, you couldn't willingly give yourself up. Because so many were just willingly doing it to experience the power of God that was on you. But there's civil disobedience. It's rare. Well, I don't like what they're doing. I don't like those taxation. Taxa well, we're going to find out that taxation's from God. Gulp. You know, some sermons I don't like preaching. But I church verse by verse. I don't, get a, I don't get an option to jump over verses that I don't like. Well, this ain't a verse that's going to build my church. I'm not here to build a church. I'm here to build you. And you, we need all of the word of God. And so, so there's times to be civil disobedience. And so I'm, I'm going to share. I'm going to share. Open my heart. I'm going to close it because I don't know all you guys. This church and myself, as the leader of this church, committed civil disobedience during this COVID thing. I've been out. Now, when um, when everything shut down last March or what, or, or April, uh, I I went along with with shutting this down because I, mean, I think Andrew did and almost everybody did except for very small churches. Uh, but but we we. I didn't know, I went along because I didn't really know what this was all about. 
I really didn't know. I didn't have all the facts, and so I was best just to do that. We had online services. But then quickly, uh, this thing wasn't ending. And I, and I, and, and, uh, I found somewhere in the Bible, Hebrews 11, 20, or 25, I found in the Bible, or actually Hebrews 10, 25, I found in the Bible a command from God. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the habit of some has become. You know not coming to church can become a habit. And so, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some has become. Even more so as you see the day approaching. That's the return of the Lord. Do you see the day of the Lord approaching? I can prove that he's closer, that, that his day is approaching. It's closer today than it was yesterday. And tomorrow it will be closer. And so we're to gather together, and they were basically saying, no, you can't. And then they came out and said, well, you can, but only 50 of you. So what, do a lottery? You get, you don't, you get. And they, they were violating the word of God in my, my point. And so I said, I'm not going to listen to that. We will assemble, and all that are willing to assemble will assemble. And so we assembled and we've done that from that very, and they've lifted over time and, and to where, but, but we decided, no, we're going to, and we didn't, we didn't separate six feet apart. We didn't separate rows of six feet. Am I judging those that did? No. But if I did that, we would have about 50 people. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to forsake or hinder the assembling of the people of God. Now, that was my conscience. There were some Christians that were like, well, that's wrong. You ought to be listening to what, what, the, what, the, what the leaders are saying in our country. And, stuff. and it's like, I just thought it violated the word of God. And so in my own conscience, I couldn't do that. And, and, and then when the masks were mandated, we never mandated a single day in this church a mask. Some hated that. Some were against me for that. But... But uh, the Teller County Sheriff and the El Paso County Sheriff, both of them came out publicly and said, we will not police masks. And I said, well, if our police enforcement are not enforcing it, why should I? And so I wrote a letter to the church. And I said, guys, this is the stance we're taking on this. If you, this is, a, this is a, a, your own conscience, a choice that you need to follow your own conscience on. Some of you feel like you need to wear a mask because that's what's been said. That's fine. Wear a mask. Some of you will feel like, no, uh, I, I'm not going to wear a mask because it hinders me to exercise my free, free act of worship. Under the Constitution, we're guaranteed free, access, uh, fr uh, free exercise of worship. Have you tried to worship with masks on? Make a muffled sound unto the Lord. I felt like it not only violated our Constitution, but violated our own worship of God. And so I'm not going to mandate that. But it's, a, but it's upon your conscience. And I told them in the letter, I said, now if someone wears a mask, don't judge them. But if you're wearing a mask, don't judge those that don't wear one. That's Romans 14. We're about to get into it. Your own conscience about that. Don't judge other people. But, but, I have, but we committed civil disobedience. Now, if they come out and say, you know what, you can't preach the gospel anymore, or you can't meet anymore as a church, guess what? We're meeting. Amen. 
we are meeting. There's some that are not going to meet. Well, pastor, what, well, what if they throw you in prison? Won't start a prison ministry. <laughs> Jeremy will lead and worship, and they'll probably let them have a tram, tambaline, tram, whatever those, trampoline or tambourine, sir, trampoline, <laughs> tambourine, and you know, and we'll sing in Alcapulco or whatever. But we'll have, I'll have a church, I'll have a, a prison ministry. It says, therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but because of conscience sake. As a Christian, you should be led on the inside, not the outside. The world is, is governed by fear of what will happen to them. We're to be governed because we have conscience towards God. We want to submit to God. And if there's laws that are not against the word of God, we are to submit. Not for sake of fear, but out of conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For what reason? To pay God's ministers to execute wrath upon the evildoers, the police department. God set it up that there be police and military. He set it up. And he, he proclaimed and he, he ordained it be paid for through taxes. <laughs> and there's a move today to defund the police department in direct opposition of the authority of God and the institution of God. But they don't want to stop taxing us. We'll defund that, but we're not lowering your taxes. Because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, police, military, attending continually for this very thing. Some people think that that's the tax, the tax guy who he's talking about here. No. The, the tax guy are collecting it so that he can pay the police department that they can attend continually to this very thing. Verse 7, render therefore all that is due taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love one another for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. It says owe no one anything. What does this mean? The word owe means Accruing debt. Accruing debt. Don't be accruing debt to anyone. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> well, pastor, are you telling me that if I have a credit card, I'm, that, that's against the will of God? No, I didn't say that. Because when you, when you get credit, right, there's payments on a due date, right? A certain amount. If you pay it, you're paying your bills, your current. What he's saying here is don't let unpaid, the, the dates go by to where you're not paying your payments. And it's piling up un, unpaid debts as Christians. Don't do it. It's a bad witness. 
Am I judging you if no? No, but God wants to help you out of that. And God wants you out of that. So be careful. Don't go on a plastic binge. I mean, there's a lot of Christians having carpal tunnel surgery. If your wrist is hurting, back off. I think it's good to pay for things in cash. You see, you really see the value of how quick that stuff goes. So easy, just zip it and it went, right? But if you pay cash, it's like, well, I had $200 and it's gone. Like that. Owe no one anything except to love one another. There's a debt that you are never to stop paying, which is to love other people. Why is that? Because the king has commanded and decreed that you pay it. God's commanded you to. Let me say something to you. Many have a massive amount of piled up love debt that has gone unpaid. They have have a massive amount of piled up love debt that has gone unpaid. See, the problem is, is if, if you're in debt, you may have trouble paying it because you lack the resources. But you'll never lack the resources to pay the love debt because God gives it to you amply. He shed abroad his love in your heart, so you have everything you need to pay that payment. Ask somebody, are you paid up? Or there are a lot of late payments with your spouse, with that person that you haven't talked to in forever because of this little thing that was said and done. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Could you keep the law 85% and fulfill it? 90? 95? 96? 98? 99? 100? Well, it says he who loves has fulfilled the law. So that means you have to love perfectly and completely to utterly fulfill the law. There's only one person that has done that. You know, in the Gospels, it says, love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. That's from the spirit all the way to your body. Everything you got all the time, and it was a command under the law. Jesus was giving it to the people. And the answer should have been, I can't. There's only been one person that loved us with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their strength, and all of their, their strength. It was Jesus. And he died for you on the cross. And he fulfilled the law for you. And then poured out his love in your heart so that when you can love through his love other people, you fulfill the requirement of the law, which is love. But he fulfilled it for you. And he wants to fulfill it through you. Look at verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, It's summed up by saying this, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
There's the seventh commandment, the sixth commandment, the eighth commandment, the ninth commandment, and the tenth commandment listed right there. The first five commandments were towards God. The last five were towards people. All the ones just lifted were towards people. It's fulfilled by love. Well, how are you going to fulfill that? By your own inner, by your own love? Or God's love? It's God's love. It's by God's love. And so, uh, I want you to look in 1 John chapter 2. We're getting close. There's hope. 1 John, look at chapter 2, look at verse 7. This is John. He's about 90 years old at this time. He's an old guy. And John says, brethren, I write no new commandment to you. Say, I write no new commandment to you. What does that mean? That he's not, not gonna, he's, not writing any, he's not writing any new commandment. But an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment, which the word, which you've heard from the very beginning. At the very beginning, when Israel was started as a nation, that was given. An old commandment. And I'm not writing any new commandments to you. Look at verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you. John, you must be really getting old. Is this senile or what? You just said I'm not writing any new commandment to you. And then he says I'm writing a new commandment to you. Will the real John stand up? So what's the difference between the old commandment and the new commandment? Well, it's still the command to love your neighbor is the same. And that's what they had in the old covenant. They had that, that, that commandment in the old covenant. Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against your children of your people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And that's the old commandment, to love your neighbor. But how are you supposed to do it? As you love your... So guess what? You're, you were the bar and the resource to love from. Have you ever tried to love somebody in your own resource? And you want to slap them? That's the old commandment of the law. you got to do it. you you got to do it yourself. And everything is the law, you do it. God gives no help. But guess what? There's an old commandment that came into the new commandment, but it's an old commandment, but it's new. It's the same commandment to love your neighbor, but how, it, how it's to be done is separate, is different. It's new. Jesus in John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Ah, that's the old commandment. Well, wait a minute, it's new though. As I have loved you. No longer is it as you love yourself. Guess what? You can only love others to the degree you receive it. And as he loves you to the degree you receive that love, you can give it out to other people. Let me, say, let me tell you what a, a Lismas test of your relationship with God. If you're receiving his love accurately. How you treat people horizontally. Are you harsh? Are you critical? Unforgiving? Unbending? Then you're not receiving God's love. Because God's love's not that way. New commandment. Verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does not. So guess what? When you love someone, you're not going to lie against them. 
You're not going to cheat on them. You're not going to commit adultery against them. You're not going to kill them. <laughs> and you keep the law more by accident than a purpose when you just receive, 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 receive the love of God. Be flooded with the love of God and it just flows out of you like a river. So it says, love does no harm to a neighbor. But I would recommend one of you, someone out there is going to say, yeah, but well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> that happened to Jesus one day. Luke 10, 25, we'll end with this. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus. That's not a good idea. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, well, what is written in the law? What's your reading of it? Since this guy was under the law, he's a lawyer. Verse 27, he says, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Old commandment. And Jesus said, well, you've answered rightly. Do this and you'll live. He wouldn't be able to pull it off. He should have said, I can't. You have any other options? Yeah, receive me as Savior. Verse 30, then Jesus answered and said and gave a little story. It says a guy went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, caught among thieves, got stripped down, half, half dead. And then a priest came by, didn't want to help him. A Levite came by, didn't want to help him. And then the Samaritan came by and bandaged him up and took him into an inn and paid the, paid the deal. In verse 36, Jesus says, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves. And the man said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. The question the guy asked is, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, wrong question. The question isn't who's my neighbor. The, 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 the thing you need to understand is you're the neighbor. You're the neighbor. And wherever you go and everybody you reach is your neighbor. Because you are, you are the neighbor. But this story is really a type of redemption. It's a story of redemption. Where man fell among the thief, the enemy who stripped him and left him half dead. Physically alive but spiritually dead. The law and the, the, the priest and the Levite speaks of the law that had no help at all in the man's condition. Until the, the good Samaritan came, which is Jesus. And he poured in oil and wine. That's the new birth and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And brought him into the inn and gave him over to the keeper of the inn, the Holy Spirit, and the inn's the church. And gave him two denarii. A denarii was a day's wage, two days' wages. A day to the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years to the Lord. So to 2,000 years, we've been in the church and being ministered to by, the good, by what the Good Samaritan's given But the, the deal, guys, is Jesus is the fulfillment and the love of God that, that we need to receive every single day to be able to pay the debt that we owe towards other people. Are you receiving the love of God today? Just ask yourself, how's your relationships horizontally? How's your marriage? How's your friendships? How's your family? How, how are you and your family? How's your work situation? Is it just strewn with wrecked relationships everywhere? 
Well, there's a common denominator to all that. He said it, not me. Go see him after. There's a common denominator. And so our horizontal reflects our vertical. God loves you today. And he'll give you everything that you need to pay your payment of love to other people. More than enough. Bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for the word. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus, that you died on that cross and you loved us with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And you fulfilled the law for us. And then you poured out your love in our heart. And you've commanded us to love others, to pay a debt, but you give us the resources. I'm asking, the Lord's asking you today, is there any unpaid love debt in your life? Is there late payments of love in your life? Well, he's given you that resource. And he wants you to receive the resources of his love to you first. Be loved. You're beloved. Be loved. Let him love you. Focus on the cross and him dying, on you, dying for you on the cross. That's how you can experience the love of God anytime, any part of the day. Just focus on the love of, love of God seen in the cross and he'll experience the love of God in your heart. God has forgiven you. He's not holding you, what you've done against him. He loves you. But he wants you to give that love to that person next to you. Father, we thank you for this message today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So as we were worshiping, just had the Lord put this on my heart. And I feel like he was saying, like, some people are asking questions, like, how do I do this? Or how can I love out of this? Or I can't, like, kind of statements or questions. And so I love how the Lord responds. He asks you questions because he wants to draw the answer out of you. And so, how many of you are born again? If you're born again, raise your hand. Born again, born again, awesome. Then the Lord says, then you have a pure and loving heart. You are filled with my love. So there's not a question, you are. If you're born again, then you are, right? Scripture says that he, did, he commended his love towards us. And so then he asked another question. He said, what will you choose? Because he's not going to force it, it's your choice. He said, are you going to choose to love for my never-ending well?" or from your puddle that gets smaller and smaller. So are you going to love out of your own strength? Are you going to love out of his? And then he said, my word says that the world will know that you're my disciples to your, uh, by your love for one another. And then he said this because he spoke to me. He said, some of you guys are think you have love, you have that vertical relationship, but you don't think you can give it out because you think it may run out or it may not be right or whatever the case is. And he said this, it's time to take my love and give it because it's more than enough to share so you guys can do it amen